Welcome to Disclaimers Aside, a podcast where I share the raw and honest stories of people in my community, Disclaimers Aside. I'm your host, Aisada Amadou, and let's dive into the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another podcast episode. Today I'm really excited because we're going to be talking about navigating college as a Muslim student. Before we get into the main part of the episode, I want to do a little recap, a little catch up, because I feel like it's been a while since we've caught up here on Disclaimers Aside. Yesterday I spent basically the entire day in LA. It was really, really fun. If you guys follow me on Instagram, you might have seen it. I also filmed a vlog, so it'll be on my YouTube channel as well. But my sister and I took the train to LA. And we've taken the train a couple times before. I've taken the train to San Diego two times at this point. Was it two times or three times? I think it's two times. I've taken the train from Irvine to San Diego two times before in the past. It's always really fun. I feel like living in a city or living in a town or just honestly growing up in a place where they don't have public transit and where public transit isn't really a huge thing it's always really fun when I get the opportunity to actually use public transit like when I went to college getting to use the bus system or getting to ride on the train to go to the next town over so we live in Orange County and LA we live about an hour away from LA and San Diego but my parents don't quite yet let me drive to San Diego or LA by myself still working on that hopefully next year things will be different but there's a train system and the Amtrak train system goes from San Diego all the way to SF so you could hypothetically ride the train to whatever coastal city that pleases you and so I've been to San Diego twice before because I have a friend that lives in San Diego she's very familiar with San Diego so I've gone a couple times with her and then this is my first time riding the train with my sister to LA. I've never ridden the train before to LA. I always have gone to San Diego, but it was a great experience. I will say this, we missed our train by literally a minute. Everything was going fine, but then before we went, took the train, we I hadn't had breakfast, so I was like, let's go to the Starbucks drive-thru, but the Starbucks drive-thru line was way too long. So then we went, ended up going to Coffee Bean, and right as we pulled up to Coffee Bean, of course, there were three, four cars in the drive-thru, and someone's order got messed up, and so we were basically scrambling to the train station. I was so afraid we were going to be late because when you miss your train, you have to pay to reschedule it. And so we got there just in time. The train was just pulling up. I parked the car. My sister and I are sprinting, like hopping over bushes to like catch our train. But then in the moment, because I've only taken the train south to San Diego, I was confused on whether or not this train was actually our train. And so for like two minutes, we're trying to, we're deliriously trying to figure out like which way this train is going, whether it's going south or north, because I didn't also want to get on the wrong train. It did in fact end up being the train going north to LA. So My sister and I had to go up three flights of stairs, cross a bridge, and then go three flights down to basically cross the platform to the other side of the train tracks. But there was honestly no way we were going to make it, and so we missed the train. And so we go inside, hella defeated. We go up to the guy at the counter, and we're like, we missed our train. By just a minute, is there any way that we can get on the next train? and not have to pay. The guy was super nice. He said, unfortunately, the next train wasn't for another three, four hours, so we couldn't do that. But he he told us that we could take the Metrolink 
and the Metrolink is basically like a smaller train than the Amtrak and it's only $10 for the whole day's pass. If you take the Amtrak, you know that is a lot cheaper than the Amtrak. It's just kind of like a smaller train, but for an hour train ride, it was literally perfect. So now in the future, I'm going to try and take the Metrolink because $10 and that covers the entire day. That is incredible. The good thing was we ended up making it to LA. We got dropped off at Union Station and then it was about like a 20 minute walk to Little Tokyo. So we went to Little Tokyo, explored a little bit. My sister went to the Sanrio store and she picked up some things. We also went to a bakery and we tried like a matcha and a strawberry shortcake donut and it was really fun. It was just really, really hot. At about noon, my friends were picking us up. So basically we were going to LA to spend the day with Isatu and Lula. They're these two sisters. I've been friends with Isatu on Instagram for years. She watches my videos and we're always just chatting up in the DMs. So it was finally time for us to, to meet in, in real life. Isatu and Lula both live in LA and so they're LA locals. They were giving us a little tour of LA. They picked us up at noon and we went to this black flea market. It was really cool. They had a bunch of African clothes, African jewelry. Everyone was super nice. They had music playing. We tried this guy's juice mi juice mixes. He had like a stand where he was selling different types of juices. So my sister got this watermelon mint juice that we took home and it was really fun. After that, we went to the, I think it's called the Reparations Book Club in LA. If you're an LA local or if you're ever in the area, definitely go to this bookstore. It's a black owned bookstore, super cool. The vibes are just so cool in the store. They have this like cool section of couches and they have music playing, like fire music playing. It's really cool. I had seen it on TikTok in the past, so I really wanted to go. And it was just such a cool place. I'm so jealous that they don't have one locally because I feel like the bookstores in OC are just so bland. After that, we went to this vegan taco place for lunch. I love tacos. I've never had vegan tacos though, and they were actually really, really good. I got a veggie taco. We tried out this new boba place that was really good down the street. And then we went to the Hollywood Park and we honestly just went to the Hollywood Park to chill. We sat there for like an hour or so just kind of talking. I brought Rakia with me so we were all kind of just getting to know each other. It was really, really fun. This was like around sunset time. We took some pictures and then it was time for Rakia and I to take the train back home. We had a, I think a 715 train and by the time I got on that train, I was exhausted. I could have honestly fallen asleep on that train, but I didn't want to leave my sister kind of like alone on the train, so. But it was a lot of fun and like meeting people that you've known on the internet for years in real life is such a surreal but rewarding experience. This is my first time like meeting someone that I know online in real life and it was just so much fun, so. I'm definitely excited for the next time that we get to see them. Hopefully they'll come down to visit us in Orange County sometime soon. But it was just a really fun time and I think also like I've been to LA quite a few times before. I always go with my parents. Nothing against my parents but it's always just a different experience going to a city with your friends versus your parents. Especially my parents because my parents are the type of people where they just like to kind of repeat and go back to the same places that they're used to going to because they know it'll be good. And what that kind of looks like is, I swear, for five years, 
every single time we would go to LA or we would have someone visit and they wanted to go to LA, we would just go to the Hollywood stars, which to me is like my least favorite part of LA. I literally do not want to see those stars ever again because I've been, I've walked those stars so many times and it, it is a very overhyped part of LA in my opinion. Sorry about that noise. I'm sure the audio picked that up, but the trash collector just happened to drive by and pick up the trash. So tonight I'm excited because I'm going to my friend's house and we're going to watch a Bollywood movie. I've gotten into Bollywood movies this summer. My friends love Bollywood and for years have been trying to get me to watch it. And I don't know, I was just very against it. I have seen Bollywood movies in the past. Like when I was a kid, I watched Doom. I think I watched Doom 1, 2, and... No, I watched Doom 1 and I watched Doom 3, but not Doom 2. Bollywood movies are actually so good. I feel like they're very underrated. I know all the rage is like K-dramas and things like that, but Bollywood movies are so good too. I think once I watch more movies, I definitely want to do a podcast where I talk about my favorite Bollywood movies and maybe give you guys a little bit of a guide, but I'm I'm excited because that's what I'm going to be doing tonight. At this point, I have about nine days left of summer. It's been a very, very short summer. I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the summer, but because I'm transferring from a quarter system school to a semester system school, my summer got cut short by a month, which honestly wasn't as bad as I expected. I feel like I'm the type of person where I would much rather have more breaks, breaks more often than have longer breaks because even when I was a kid, I remember summers would at a certain point just kind of drag on a little too long and I would get bored and by the time fall would kind of come around, I was so excited to go back to school. So I feel like even though I only have nine days left of summer and I feel like this summer has gone by so quickly, I'm actually really excited for school to start up again and to move in because I am going to be starting at a new school and so that's definitely contributing to how exciting things are. Basically, I have to move in to Berkeley a week early with all the other tr transfer and freshman students for orientation, which is going to be really nice because I guess it'll kind of give me like about a week to get used to the campus, get used to my bearings and everything like that before I'm thrown into classes starting. I would say since since I already kind of had the move-in experience last year with Santa Cruz, I'm not nearly as nervous for the move-in process. I'm kind of dreading packing up all my stuff this weekend but other than that I'm really not nervous about moving in or anything like that I'm more nervous about my workload for this semester because I kind of have a terrible schedule if we're gonna be honest I signed up for 16 units the standard is 13 but I just decided to sign up for 16 because there were just all these classes that I wanted slash needed to take which to me is like not really the concerning part, the concerning part is that my Tuesdays and Thursdays basically look like three back-to-back -back classes with each subsequent class starting right when the previous class ends. And so I'm a little bit worried about like getting to my classes on time and where my classes are located locationally. I'm also a little bit worried about having those three classes back to back with no breaks in between because I'm like, am I going to be functioning by the third class? But I don't know, I still have some time. I have a couple weeks to kind of decide if I wanna drop one of my classes. And so if it becomes a situation where it's too much, that's kind of what I'm gonna do. But I wanna try out the 16 units and see because who knows? I might be able to handle it and if I can take all four of these classes that would be great. So that's kind of what I'm personally looking forward to. 
The check-in question that I kind of have for this week is one that I stole from one of my internship meetings, and that is, what is something you want to leave behind going into this next week? For me, going into next week, what I want to leave behind is my tendency to be constantly looking forward to the future. And basically what I want is to live in the moment as much as possible. I always kind of say this is something that I need to work on because it is something that like I definitely need to work on. And I think especially going into this like very short chapter where I'm going to only be at Berkeley for two years, I want to live in the moment. I want to enjoy my time and what I have left of my college experience because after I graduate, inshallah, things are never going to be the same. Sure, I want to go to law school, but law school is going to be very different than undergrad from what I've heard from people that are either in law school or have already finished law school. And so I want to enjoy what time I have left in my undergrad because I'm not going to get that experience again. Given we're in kind of a back to school season and this episode is kind of about going back to school in some sense, my unpopular opinion, disclaimers aside for this week, is that back to school videos, specifically back to school hauls and back to school advice, like that era of YouTube where back to school videos were a huge thing, you know, that I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but when YouTubers used to have hella oversaturated content and just the most mind-blowing production type videos. I feel like those videos were the most unrealistic videos I have ever seen. What I mean by this is like the advice videos, the advice that they would give would be some of the most like outlandish, obscure advice that they would give. Hella unrealistic. Don't even get me started on the back to school hauls. They would have the most unnecessary things when it came to back to school every year. And I definitely was a part of the problem because I would definitely buy into this overconsumption culture of like every single year when it was back to school, like I needed to get the newest things. I needed to get the 120 pack of crayons, the papermate pens. I needed the best and the brightest when it came to back to school shopping. At a certain point, I think it was when I was a senior in high school, I kind of just realized Back to school shopping, it should just be the most necessary things that you need. Obviously, you can get like cute stationery and cute school supplies, but also buying markers and pens every single year and throwing out perfectly good school supplies every single year is very wasteful. It's bad for our environment and frankly, it's just not a good practice. That's something I was thinking about recently and like I know obviously any not everyone can afford to do something like go paperless and invest in something like an iPad and kind of convert school to this digital platform but I think if you can afford that if that's something within your means that it's great to do and it's amazing seeing schools kind of switching over to systems like iPad Academy or giving students laptops because I think that is such a good way of like combating that and I feel like over time you do save a lot of money you do save a lot of paper and plastic and things that can ultimately hurt the environment. I guess it's just a healthy reminder for those of you guys who are doing back to school shopping. I know that's kind of something to note if you're more on the younger side because I feel like as you grow older you just buy less and less school supplies like when you're in kindergarten they give you the most ridiculous school supply lists with all this stuff even stuff for the teacher in the general classroom 
and then as you get older you kind of get more of a choice of like what you want to buy and what you think you need for school supplies as i mentioned today's podcast episode is going to be about navigating college as a muslim student i specifically wanted to record this episode now just because i know in the coming weeks a lot of us students are going to be starting school a lot of people are going to be going off to college as muslim students for the first time and it can be very difficult navigating something like university as a muslim student especially if this is your first time kind of living away from home some people find it easier than others and i just wanted to kind of give a little bit of my perspective as someone who is a third year in college and someone who's kind of experienced it and just kind of give my advice and just my thoughts on the whole subject. College is supposed to be this place that we go to and interact with people that are different from us. And I think those differences are stronger than differences in people you went to school with in primary school because you don't really have that common ground anymore of growing up at the same time in the same town. But I think this is a positive aspect of college because the best way to kind of have a more open and accepting mind is to surround yourself with people that are different than you. But I also think a lot of challenges in college arise because some people are better equipped at surrounding themselves with different people than others. As a black Muslim student who went to school for nine years in Orange County, which in a which is in a predominantly white neighborhood, I kind of grew accustomed to being surrounded by people that are different from me at an early age. And in a lot of ways, in terms of college, and I'm sure a lot of things that are like down the line for me, this was very good for me. This is something that my dad definitely talked to me about when I was a senior in high school because my heart wanted me to go to a school like UC Riverside that had a lot more black and brown students, that had a lot of Muslim students versus UCSC, which I knew was going to be a lot more of closer to that predominantly white environment because he kind of pushed me to just disregard that because at the end of the day when you leave school the real world is going to be like that although it would have been nice to grow up with a stronger muslim community presence around me the more i got older the more i realized that the larger world is not like that at least in the u.s and i i want to really touch on that because i'm i am speaking from this perspective that is rooted in what it's like going to college in the u.s What I mean by this is I'm glad I got used to being the only one in a room at a young age because when you leave the bubble of your hometown for the real world, those comforts won't follow you. And for some people, the disintegration of that comfort bubble can be a challenge to overcome. Because I was used to existing in the margins, going to college, I was actually pleasantly surprised by the presence of a Muslim community even though at UCSC, the Muslim community was a small one. Despite being used to being the minority, I think it's also a difficult experience at the university level because it's not just about going to school anymore with other people, but you also have to live with these other people. So naturally going into college, I definitely had a lot of the underlying worries that a lot of Muslim students have. When you're Muslim in America, there are restrictions and accommodations that you have to fight twice as hard for because Islam is not embedded in mainstream culture like Christianity or Judaism are. The default in America, I would say, is Christianity. Judaism would probably come next in terms of getting representation and recognition and integration, but Islam is definitely at the bottom. 
Muslim students in America are used to drafting that email to your teacher about why you have to miss school because even in 2020, it is not a holiday like Christmas or Hanukkah are. Meanwhile, we still get days off for holidays like Christopher Columbus Day, which are deeply, deeply rooted in ignorance and oppression. Accommodations for Muslim students, if you're not Muslim yourself, can look like things like having access to prayer spaces or ablution spaces or accommodating to dietary restrictions and private bathrooms for head covering Muslim women. But not every university is complying of these restrictions. So from my experience at UCSC, the way that our prayer space kind of looks like was the university established a reflection room, which was kind of this like room that was set up for anyone coming from any religious background. And so it was mainly used by the Muslim students on campus to pray, but I'm sure there were other people of other faiths that would use the room. I think something that can be really helpful at universities in terms of having the university kind of hear the needs of Muslim students is having things like having swana or religious centers, because I think religious centers can be kind of a place that can advocate for the needs of of certain communities. I used to work at the Women's Center and I worked a lot with ethnic resource centers and resource centers were a really, really great place to not only like provide resources for certain communities, but also to be kind of like a liaison for the students' needs to be heard by and at the university level. In terms of ablution, sp ablution spaces, if you don't know what ablution is, it's like the process that Muslims go through in order to cleanse themselves before prayer. So anytime you are about to pray, you need to cleanse yourself by you wash your hands, you wash your face, you wash your hair, your ears, your feet, all of that. And it's really hard to do this in like a traditional bathroom, let alone weird. Like other people are going to be looking at you funny if you take off your shoes and start washing your feet in the public bathroom. And that is a big reason why it's important to have things like ablution spaces. I saw this TikTok, I think it was like the University of Wisconsin or something, but they had like a wudu room. And I was like, you would never see something like that in California, as progressive as California is as a state. It's important to have those spaces so that Muslim students can feel safe to practice ablution. In terms of dietary restrictions, this is another thing. So having halal food options is very important. Muslims tend to eat halal, so that means they only eat meat that is killed in a certain way and what this means is like the meat has to be sacrificed in a sp particular way so a certain vein needs to be cut so that there's like more mercy in terms of like the animal and this is a big thing because a lot of meat made in america is not actually halal but having more halal meat in the dining hall is very important because some people actually practice eating halal meat and they only eat meat when it's killed in that way and the last aspect is the aspect that I really had a personal experience with, and that is private bathrooms for head covering Muslim women. In college, your traditional bathroom looks like a communal bathroom. So it's essentially you live on a floor with people and you share a large restroom within those people, with among those people. So it'll be like 30, 40, 50 sometimes people sharing a bathroom with multiple stalls and multiple showers and toilets and sinks, right? The problem with that is that a lot of schools, including UCSC, didn't have a lot of options in terms of having single gender floors. And so in a lot of cases, it is challenging as a Muslim woman when you are sharing a floor with mixed genders and you wear the headscarf and you have, you're forced to share a bathroom with mixed genders. 
that becomes a real problem and that is something that I definitely struggled with and I'll talk about my personal experience with that a little bit but I think having a lot more accommodations in terms of that is important so having some single gender floors along with mixed gender floors having some private bathroom spaces and dorms with private bathroom spaces for head covering Muslim women or just having more housing options for Muslim women and Muslim students in general for example they had a black student floor having things like floors for muslim students and having the ability for muslim students to live together is really really important so my experience with with housing was really not the best at ucsc um in general schools like ucsc that have a housing crisis are some of the worst to interact with as a muslim woman that wears a headscarf because even if you kind of pre-select your roommates or pre-select certain things like I want to be in an apartment so that you know I don't have to deal with the communal bathroom situation as a hijabi the schools don't listen to your needs or what you want they will put you in whatever housing situation fits best for them and I think that is a problem I think that re- religious accommodations do need to have more importance and priority So I've talked about this in the past. I'm not going to harp on it too much, but I was in a situation where I was in an apartment with six other or five other girls. So we were six girls total and we had one bathroom. We shared a living room and a kitchen. Some of the people that were in this apartment were random roommates. And this is kind of like where the problem arose because when you select your roommates beforehand or you have some kind of relationship with the people that you're living with beforehand as a Muslim student, you can better communicate your boundaries and just go into the housing situation like with everything on the table knowing what you're kind of getting into as much as possible. But when you have random roommates, you really don't know what you're going to get, right? And some people, as I mentioned, are better at interacting with people that are different than them than others. So I was in a situation where I had other roommates that would bring guys over that were practically living in the apartment. And this made me very uncomfortable as a Muslim woman who wears the hijab because I never knew when guys were going to be around in the apartment. I never knew if I was going to wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, if I needed to get fully clothed in my own home, essentially. And, you know, it was a situation where I communicated kind of that I was a Muslim woman, that these are my values and this is kind of my situation. And it was a situation where people just did not care. I was kind of faced with, what is the word, incredulity? Basically, I had roommates that were like incredulous that I could possibly request that guys didn't sleep over and that guys left at an appropriate time in the space that we shared because their reasoning was this was college. I basically had a housemate who asked me, how could you go into college thinking that you would live in an apartment with girls and them not have guys sleep over? It's this closed-minded perspective that your lifestyle, because it is mainly represented in the U.S., is the default and the only option for everyone else that is so damaging for Muslim students. And that was not okay. So I contacted my RA thinking that because we live in a space together and we both have the right to feel safe, right, in our homes, that this should be resolved immediately but unfortunately the RA said that there was nothing that they could do and the RA was honestly not helpful at all 
in that situation, I kind of just, I didn't feel safe living in that housing situation. And so I had to contact housing and see if I could get moved. And it took months, it took months to get moved. And I had to continuously live in that situation for months with housing doing nothing. And so I did get moved in the end to a single dorm on a single gender floor. And it was a great experience to be honest. But that experience was very scarring for me. And I am now, I feel like traumatized in a way and I just don't, I'm very cautious with who I choose to live with because I don't want to be in a situation like that again. But it's really challenging because even this year, for example, with my housing situation at Berkeley, like I applied in a group of four of us. We were all Muslim and like on the same page about, you know, boundaries and things. And we applied for an apartment together and Berkeley Housing assigned us to a quad suite with a random other person which obviously not saying that things will not go well with that because we just have to kind of work to communicate like where our boundaries lie but with these public institutions even though you put down these accommodations that you need I don't think that they value them as much as they should and it's it's damaging to Muslim students experiences in college because now as a Muslim student, this is a barrier to your education, right? Like this is something that is mentally challenging you that you have to think about on top of your regular academic load. Another challenge that Muslim students kind of can face at the university, in university spaces are temptations. Now I don't have too much insight on this because I in general, I'm just gonna say like I'm a pretty self-disciplined person, especially when it comes to my boundaries in terms of my faith but it is something that I definitely feel like I have to I need to touch on because it is a reality of any university experience obviously when you go to college there are going to be drugs there is going to be alcohol there is going to be partying and everything that comes with partying that is just a reality some schools have a bigger party culture than others I went to UCSC. I wouldn't characterize it as like a party school. It wasn't like UCSB or USC or something like that. We didn't really, frats and sororities weren't a huge thing. They were kind of more like underground and low key. And it was definitely the type of experience where if you didn't want to party, it wasn't in your face. Like you wouldn't experience FOMO because of it. I feel like party culture at UCSC was a little more separate. There were a lot of things like forest raves and things like that kickbacks and things like that but it wasn't like a huge culture in college and I know obviously like certain colleges are going to be different like for example if you go to UCSB as Muslim good luck something I want to address within this conversation is that as Muslims we have different boundaries like we are not perfect none of us are perfect as Muslim people and so We have areas where some people are okay with sinning in some ways and some people are okay with sinning in other ways. And so I've come across Muslims who do things like smoke or drink, even though that's personally not something that I do. Whatever your halal haram ratio is, you just need to know who you are and what your boundaries are and respect that and make sure other people around you respect that. If you're struggling with that, if you feel like you're not strong enough to handle the temptation, Don't surround yourself with that culture or people that will tempt you. For me, I know where my boundaries are. I know what I'm okay with, what I'm not okay with, my interpretation of Islam and how I like to practice Islam. 
And so I don't feel like I struggle with this aspect of going to college, but it is a reality that that is going to be in college. And I don't think it's something that you should necessarily stray away from just because you're living in a non-Muslim country like the United States in 2022, and that is going to be everywhere you go. When you graduate, when you leave the college space, that is going to be a reality of whatever city or town you're working in. And so it's better that you kind of get used to that now at a young age then later down the line. The next aspect I want to talk about is MSA. MSA stands for Muslim Student Association. I don't know if they call it different things at different schools, but it's just basically like a organization of Muslim students. It's a great place to find community. And I always recommend to anyone, regardless of like where you are in your journey of Islam, to join MSA. But I also do want to recognize that being a part of MSA organizations is not always perfect and it's not always sunshine and rainbows. Not every MSA at every campus is going to be the most welcoming. Some MSAs I've heard from rumors are clicky or problematic in a lot of ways. You can find things like drama, colorism, Arab supremacy, and hypocrisy within MSAs. Let's talk about drama first and foremost. Drama happens between any group of people. It's natural and you just kind of have to stay away from it slash deal with it in the way that you would normally deal with and address drama like in any any group. I think as long as you as a group of people kind of remember the intention and the purpose of you being in the organization, you should be fine. Colorism and Arab supremacy. This is something that, as a Black Muslim, I feel like is very important to talk about. I don't think people talk about this enough, but Islam as a, not as like the actual religion, but as a institution, religious institution. So I'm talking about the politics of Islam, like the people that make make up Islam. That community can be rooted in a lot of colorism and Arab supremacy. I saw it in my experience as a Muslim student in MSA. It's one of the most disheartening things to see because Islam is supposed to be a religion of freedom and and equality. It was the first religion to free slaves. And it is just so un-Islamic to be racist, colorist, or to have notions of Arab supremacy. But there is a lot of colorism and I think it is important to talk about and to address and to handle. Hand in hand with that, there can be a lot of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a sin that in Islam is like very much a bad thing to do. One of my least favorite qualities in human beings is hypocrisy. Not to be a pessimist, but I'm just gonna say it. Like I cannot stand hypocrisy. But these are all negative aspects that can come with MSAs that you should be aware of as a Muslim student, especially as a black Muslim student. I think these are all things that can be remedied with a strong and diligent and open board that is willing to kind of look into these issues and really address them. It's really in the leadership to kind of set the tone of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in a given MSA. Let's talk about Ramadan because nowadays Ramadan is happening during the school year. Growing up, I was used to Ramadan being in the summer. It was a time where, honestly, astaghfirullah, like, I would sleep until 12. Like, I would wake up for fajr, pray, do my thing, and then sleep until 12 and stay up that night until 4 a.m. And I would basically sleep half my days away to get through Ramadan. It's kind of how I got used to doing Ramadan, but when I went to college, that was not the case. I could not sleep in and kind of just be lazy during the day, even though naturally when you're fasting... You get lazy 
Like, you can't convince me otherwise. It is just a whole nother ball game doing Ramadan in college. It's so hard because I think Ramadan is an important month of community in a lot of ways and a, a time where you really spend time with family. And so my first Ramadan away from home, I would say it went pretty well because the MSA did a lot of like programming and things, just a lot of community building and the MSA board really worked hard during the month of Ramadan to make it feel as special as it would be as if it was at home. But it's definitely hard, hard to do Ramadan in college because you have the workload of a college student and you can't really sack off as much as if you were at home. So as much as I thought I was ready for Ramadan in college, I was really not. My friend Sophia only just told me recently that I was the most snappiest I have ever been during the month of Ramadan and I just was very grumpy and I own it. I definitely am the type of person that will get hangry and I will snap at you. One of my roommates was also saying, I remember during the month of Ramadan, that it's hard because there is this like need this like spiritual need to like go all the way and to do things like go to Tarawih every night but you can't really do that when you're a college full-time college student and you know midterms and final exams are around so I think just during those Ramadans where you're in school just giving yourself grace doing the best you can to build spirituality and build that spiritual growth into your schedule as much as possible without compromising your academics and compromising your mental health is important and you know Allah is the most understanding and knows our circumstances so Ramadan is hard I'm just warning you right now it is hard it was really hard for me this year because specifically when it was Eid because I was six hours away from home and I think Eid was on a Monday it fell on a Monday this year and I had an exam that day so I couldn't really fly home for Eid but I would say just like really reach out to the people in MSA and in your community and see if like even you could go with someone to whatever Eid celebration they're having if they have like their family or friends nearby in the surrounding area so with all these challenges i don't want to leave you guys on a negative note because i think you know at the end of the day the silver lining is that faith is not faith unless it's tested there's i think this either hadith or maybe it's in the quran i don't know i heard it somewhere but it's the line allah gives his toughest his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers i love this line like i heard it from Tahiri, she she said this in the second or third podcast episode that we recorded and it's something that I always kind of remember or just my brain automatically goes back to when I am feeling especially run over by the things that life is throwing at me and at my way. Remember that this life is a test and you can get so caught up in building this dream life for yourself as a Muslim, as a young Muslim in America because a lot of the a lot of what the media kind of propagates is like chase after the bag you know create this american dream a lot of us are first generation students where our parents came from these countries and like pulled themselves out out of poverty to give us a better life and so we feel like we need to then in turn fulfill the promise that came with our birth and you have to put that aside at the end of the day and remember that this life is a test and everything in this life will perish one day but yeah that is it for today's podcast episode i hope you guys enjoyed i hope there are some of you guys listening who are maybe some non-muslim people that 
learned a little bit from today's conversation do not let this conversation be one-sided make sure you guys follow the podcast instagram it's at disclaimers aside i'll have the link in the show notes as well as all of my other social media if you guys enjoyed today's podcast episode i would love if you guys would rate and leave a review besides that i will see you guys in next week's episode Bye.